0: Hey, I'm Michael Dorinda and I'm Jake Bennett and welcome to episode 23 of the North Meet South web podcast.
1: Hey, let's start this episode off nice and easy. Let's kind of ease into things. Michael has had a rough week, and we just kind of need to let him decompress a little bit. So let's first talk about
0: the new Pokemon on Pokemon Go. Have you downloaded the newest version? I have not. I saw an email this morning. As you say, I've had a, I've had a rough week, so I have barely checked my email at all, all week. and that is It takes a while, while for those new Pokemon know. to get down there to Australia. Yeah, yeah they've got, they got to swim a long way. Yeah. Exactly. And then they have to get past uh our uh, border border patrol and uh what's going on with that? What's going on with your border patrol? Nothing nothing unusual, nothing that you know, we're not we're definitely not refusing refugees into the country or anything like that. So we yeah, just ship them off to ouch. an island. Is that true? Yeah, you just ship them to an island. Yeah, if they if they come by, by boat, we usually just uh redirect them to Nauru and then they just go on get kept there for a bit until we quote unquote process them
1: i've heard of Nauru. Mm-hmm. i think i heard a podcast about this yeah and then we're Actually. trying to
0: send our overflow refugees to america and mr president 45 mr. Trump does not like president that. 45 does he thinks it's a bad deal
1: yep well that's international politics for you i suppose yeah so, since we want to start this easy, let's not do politics. <laughs> let's,
0: let's come back to Pokemon.
1: <laughs> let's come back to Pokemon. Uh, yeah, I've caught some of them already. I caught probably like five or six of them today. Ah. Um, I've been shocked, though. Like, there was two Pokemon, two of them. They were like the evolved versions of whatever. And there's new, like, you know how you have raspberries? Yes. They have new fruits. They have like a pineapple and bananas ah. that you can throw at them now. Very good. So, I used a pineapple, which is like the highest level fruit. And I used an Ultra Ball. Get, like got out of the ball like four times and then ran yeah. away so i used the best fruit the best ball and got away four times i was like are you kidding don't me Did not you hate that that happened twice today uh. that happened twice today so anyway there were like level 900 evolved new pokemon like the new ones yeah. so uh, i was a little bit bummed but whatever what can you do then it's easier, i think yeah i think so i think they do that on purpose don't they they, they yeah.
0: get you kind of like here's the new one we're not going to give it to you but it's out there here it's it really mean here it is Announcing 80 more Pokemon, break out the sneakers and Pokeballs. Now you can catch more than 80 80 Pokemon, which were originally discovered in the Johto region in the Pokemon Gold and Pokemon Silver video games.
1: Ah, very cool. So there you go. So there you go, folks. New Pokemon. Yeah. So get out there, catch some and send us some screenshots of your awesome Pokemon on Twitter. That'd be great. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's get into the little bit more code stuff talks. I will start with something positive here. So this week I had the need to be able to take some files and I needed the user to be able to download them. Here's kind of the the long story. We were originally hosting files inside of our network and then we were serving them to clients outside of our network. And the files got really large, like 800 meg large. And during the streaming process, it was failing during the download, not good. So what we decided to do was to host those files on S3 and then we needed to sign temporary URLs and allow them to download those. Great. That worked fine as long as we had just one file that we wanted them to download. However, when we wanted them to download multiple files, now you can either present them with multiple download links or some other method. Like you could zip them up and throw them to S3 and then do that that way. But I didn't want to zip them up before I threw them to S3. I just wanted to put them up there. So I found a great little package that will take a bucket, like a little a bucket and then like a sub resource essentially, you know, like a folder inside a bucket, and yep. it will allow you to specify that and then stream that as a zip to your user so it doesn't zip it on s3 and then download it it basically mm-hmm. says open a stream start downloading those pieces put them into a zip as it's streaming it down and deliver it to the user unbelievably uh, zip on the fly awesome zip on the fly exactly so really really cool and um you can still use the signed URLs. So those values are only available for a couple minutes while it's doing the zip. So, you know, if it's a really large zip, you might, and they have a really slow connection, you might want to expire that out a little bit longer. Right now I have it set to 10 minutes. So I figured that'll be sufficient, but that was a really cool discovery. Was super excited about finding that. And it was one of those things that literally is like just a drop in Like I dropped it in, made the call exactly as it was in the documentation, which was maybe like eight lines and it worked right out of the box. It's like, yes
0: that is the best kind of package that is kind of package where it just does exactly the documentation says do this and you do exactly that and it just and works. you're done
1: and you're done exactly and, you're out of it. and so it was it was exactly what i needed it was really easy to set up it is called s3 bucket stream zip php really easy to remember yeah by a guy named jay matai s3 bucket stream zip php so if if you're interested in that take a look at the show notes and it'll be in there yeah pretty awesome
0: good times
1: All right, how about you? Any good Uh, news this week uh, or you want to start with your terrible news of what you've been doing all week that has been miserable? I have
0: good news? I think, well, I think the good news is that I shipped what I spent all week on. Good deal. Um, The bad news was all of the roadblocks and edge cases and exceptions and weird stuff that we encountered along the way. So I've spoken a little bit about my ventures with Google Cloud Platform storage. Yes, I'm so sorry over for The you. last few episodes. It's good because it's cheap. It's not so good because the documentation isn't necessarily great. The SDK is incomplete. There's all kinds of interesting edge cases. Uh, my favorite one was one that I encountered yesterday where we decided when someone uploads an object into a storage bucket that we are watching, we would take that file when we get the object notification that something was created and we would rename it because you can't trust users to name things in the same way. So we were getting files with special characters in them. We were getting files that had spaces in them, but then they also had like URL encoded spaces. So, it was so like had percent 20. 20s in there. Yep. And it wasn't consistent. So it would have a space and a percent 20 in there. So you couldn't just run it through URL decode or anything like that when it hit our system. So we thought what we'll do is when we get that initial notification that a new file was uploaded, we would rename it in the bucket and then we would use that renamed file for all of the rest of the processing of of our Qt jobs. Unfortunately, Google doesn't make any differentiation between an object that was created and an object that was changed. So what happened was someone, we would have uploaded the file. We got the change notification that it was created. We renamed the file and then we would get another change notification that a file was created. And so I ended up in this infinite loop of renaming a file over and over again until eventually I hit an exception writing the file name to the database because it was longer than the the Varchar (laughs) database column. So at least it stopped then. So then we had to figure out, you know, how do we actually determine if this is a file we've already processed? So, luckily, Google does actually send you an MD5 hash of the file. There you go. So, we just basically went, you know, does this file already exist in our in our database? Now, that has caveats along the lines of you cannot upload the same file twice anymore because we'll have a record of it. So, we would just yep. bail out. Even if you rename that file, if, if the MD5 hash of the file itself matches... We won't process it again, so that's that's a minor thing. You just have to delete it from our system and then upload it again, which is okay. It shouldn't happen too often. If anyone is uploading the same video at the a video file with the same name, they've probably made an edit to it or some something of that nature. Right. So it's going to be a little right. bit different. So you know we got past that bit, and then we got to the next step where we have to generate a thumbnail. We probe the file to get out any audio and video streams from it, and then we kick it off to be transcoded. And all of this stuff was working. You know, we had all of our tests were passing. We had different video files that we um, had accounted for, different edge cases, files that didn't have audio files that didn't match certain profiles and things like that. And we ran it all through our UAT sort of staging environment this week and it was all fine. But then obviously always get weird edge cases. And then we started hitting edge cases with Beanstalk, um, which we're using for our queue processing. So we're hitting things like timeouts, Because these are long-running processes, the transcodes um, using different profiles, we were hitting the default two-minute timeout. And so, Laravel was saying, oh, this job hasn't been processed in two minutes, so we'll start it again. And so, we ended up with these long-running processes. Meanwhile, Beanstalk is still running it probably. Yeah. So... Uh, you know, there's that's all counted for. Uh, if you read the docs, there is actually a config option you can pass in to say, you know, increase that timeout from the default sixty seconds or two minutes to whatever you specify. And, and then we started hitting job too big exceptions, which I think was because as we process the, I've never the, even heard of that job yeah. too big exception. Well, BigStop will only process. I think the default is basically sixty-four kilobytes. Okay, I think that is the default size of a job. Like
1: that's the that's the largest payload it will accept Correct. as yeah. a job. Okay. So I
0: think what was happening, and this was late yesterday, uh, so Friday afternoon, um, and we didn't didn't really get a chance to look into it because it had been a long week, and we just decided we're close enough now that everything else is working fine, bar this little thing. So we'll we'll leave it till Monday. But basically what was happening is we get that initial job and we create a record in the database and through each step, so there are eight or nine different steps in this process, we would load that model and we would make changes to it and then we would push the model back onto the queue for the next step. So obviously that model gets bigger and bigger and bigger until eventually in some instances we actually breach that that job size. Dang. So the easy fix was Because obviously- you're serializing the model? Correct, yeah.
1: No, I was just going to say because you have, you know, it used to be that what you would do is you would just pass in the. Well, are you using serializes model? We the are.
0: serializes model trait. You are. Yeah. Well, it might okay. have changed from because we went from five one to five three as part of all of this as well. So okay, something may have changed there.
1: Yeah, I was going to say the easy way around might be to just push through the ID of the model. Yeah. Um, instead of serializing the whole thing yeah. and then requery once you get it.
0: Yeah. So that's. Yeah. That would be what I look at on Monday um, is basically, you know, explicitly push through the model ID and then always expect an ID to come out and then just load it for each task and then push the ID back onto the queue, which would be the easiest way for doing it. Here,
1: I think think this would actually be a really good opportunity. We talk about queues pretty often. For anybody who's listening who might not know what a queue is, these are incredibly valuable and like life-changing sort of. Maybe what you, and so let's just take a minute to kind of explain what these are. So a queue is essentially a way for you to take a job that would normally be running synchronously on your server while somebody was waiting for a return from a request. And what is it, what it does is instead of handling that job at the time of the request, it will take that job. It will push it onto some sort of queue. And by queue, we mean like, you know, when you think of a queue, you think of people standing in a line, right? So it pushes it onto a queue. It's the last one in line. And then you have a worker that runs in the background and will say, Hey, who's next, it grabs the next job to be completed, runs it through. And then once it completes, it kicks it out of that queue, deletes it, and then it moves on to the next job. So let's do it for instance here. Let's say that you have something that. When you accept a payment from somebody, you want to create a payment record. You want to hit Stripe's endpoint and process that payment, and then you want to send an email to that user. Okay, this could take quite a while, actually. Right? These these couple things, and if you're really big on performance and like perceived performance for your user, you want this to happen quickly. Something that you could do is you could say grab all those values of input, and then you could say go ahead and queue a new job that says process an email user okay your queue then accepts that job and it returns immediately to your user so it just takes as much time as it takes for it to write that record to a queue that's how long it is and then it returns to your user it says hey we're processing your payment thanks so much kind of thing whatever then in the background what happens is this queue once it comes up your framework or laravel or whatever it we'll pick up that queue run it and do whatever you tell it to do. So essentially allows you to take long running jobs or processes that you wouldn't want your user to have to uh, wait for, and you can kick them to the background, which is incredibly helpful. The other thing that it can do is if you have a long list of things that need to happen, you can very quickly run through, queue those jobs and then let your framework handle them as it has time. Instead of saying like, if I had a thousand emails to send, instead of saying, hey, run all 1,000 emails and send them all right now and have the process wait until all of them are done, you could just say, queue up an email it would write 1000 queue records out there and then as Laravel gets time it goes ahead and runs through them and you can actually have multiple queue workers running as well so you can have five queue workers running if you want they can chunk through that five times as fast so they're really really valuable if you don't know what queues are if you don't use them you should definitely look into them Um, Michael you have anything to add to that
0: yeah as you say you can have multiple workers doing the same thing so in our instance we actually have For this initial load, nine physical, like, well, not physical, but nine virtual machines all running and listening to the same queue. So, you know, we're doing, for every single media file that we process, we can transcode it into up to, I think, five different profiles. So we do like a low resolution. We do a a 540, a 720, a 1080, and maybe even a 360. So, you know, you can imagine that if you have, say 20 files and you've got five profiles for each of those files, 20 by five, you've got a hundred different job queues, uh, different queue jobs rather. And then each of those jobs will take different amount of time depending on the, you know, how big your original file is, depending on the output profiles. So doing that one at a time could take you a week. If you throw more workers at it, obviously you've got, you know, nine workers doing a hundred at different times, you're going to crank through that queue much quicker. Um, so I mean, it comes down to the volume of of queue jobs that you've got, what those jobs are doing. You know, sending email, especially if you're using a transactional mail service, is much quicker than something that's going to take you know orders of minutes to run, or even you know up to an hour. Um, so yeah, certainly, as Jake said, consider what you what your use case is. Anything that that can take more than a second to run. Sending email can be at times something that is a slow process. So that kind of stuff can be farmed off to a queue. Or, you know, processing a payment, you've got to generate an invoice, you've got to set up a subscription or whatever in your application. Return to the user as early as possible. Give them feedback that you're, you know, that you have accepted their request to do something and that you'll process it. And those queue jobs, whilst they go to the background, they can basically be processed in a lot of cases before the user hits the next page. So, you know, it's all about giving the user a responsive web experience, basically.
1: Yeah. And the other thing I would say, too, is which is really important, is that in the case that a job fails, you can give a queue worker a number of tries that it will that it will try on that job. So you can say, hey, try this three times. And if it never gets through, if there's an exception thrown every time, it will then kick it to a failed job table or to a failed job location and You can set it up so that you get notified when that happens. But for instance, like something like an email, and we've maybe talked about this uh, a little bit before. An email is a pretty important thing to go out for a user. So if you need to send a receipt and you have your email gateway go down, your SMTP gateway go down, and you don't have that job queued, you go to send that email, it fails, and it's gone. It's never coming back. So... Having something like a queue, you can queue that email to be sent called send receipt job or whatever you want to call it. And the queue will will take that job and it will try and send it. And if it can't send it, it will then send it to your failed jobs. And then all you have to do is say failed jobs retry all. And it will re push all those back onto the queue for trying them again later. So it saves you in a lot of cases. I've had that exact scenario happen before where I had a bunch of emails that were supposed to be going out and the SMTP gateway failed, went down. And I've had all of the emails still in my failed jobs. Otherwise I would have never known where it left off, where it stopped, who got emails, who didn't. So it's a really, really powerful feature that Laravel makes extremely easy. And, you know, Ruby, you know, Rails has its own thing. I think it's called Sidekick or something like that uh, for for cued stuff. But uh, yeah, if you're not familiar with it, definitely invest some time in checking it out and uh, it'll pay for itself uh, in no time. Absolutely. Okay, let's see what else we've got here. I have been kind of helping a couple people that I know that are interested in getting into coding. The trick I have found is that everybody wants to know how to code, but nobody really wants to put a ton of work into it right up front especially if they're not getting any value out of it immediately yeah i don't know if you've ever had any similar experiences trying to get people into coding or trying to help them out with that
0: not other people but i know i remember the experience my own experience learning to code pretty well
1: yeah yeah and so that's kind of what i've faced is you know i have some people who really have a a big interest in like wanting to learn how to code but knowing what projects to do is the is challenge, right? So Wes Boss, we talked about him last week or last time we were on this show. He has the JavaScript 30 course, which is really awesome. But uh, the two guys that I know in particular that I'm helping to kind of get started are both really into games. And one way that I've found that is a great way to get them into something that, kind of sticks and is something that they actually work on when it's not like somebody watching over their shoulder is a little gaming platform uh for html5 and javascript called phaser js yeah this is a really cool platform i was introduced to by andrew del Preti and michael Hawkins, who runs a ra- a site called RangerSteve.io. it's a really cool little game and andrew has also worked on a game before but i kind of looked at it and the one kind of Guy that I was working with to get into coding and stuff, I told him learn JavaScript, the very basics on Codecademy. Learn if statements and structures, and and, you know different kind of just learn the syntax of the language, and then jump into Phaser. So he found kind of a sample project, and now he's got like five levels, and it's basically a little Batman side scroller where you shoot batarangs at these little slimes and collect stars. It's really fun. We'll link it up in the show notes. Uh, Yeah, it's yeah he's got he's got it out there on GitHub, and uh, it's you can check it out on like GitHub Pages. It's like I think it's like big 123githubio slash phaser project or something like that is what it is. And so you can play all five levels. And and so it's really cool because you can start them out at super basic, where I just want to have a character that's jumping and moving around on the screen. And then you can say, okay, you need to add a score. So when they collect a star, add 50 points. And so it's really cool how you can show them, all right, when there's a collision with a star, here's where you, you know, you're incrementing this variable and now it will display on the screen. And I have found that if you can get somebody involved in something like that, they're getting immediate value out of the things that they're learning. So it's like they're learning without even knowing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're learning what variables are, how to increment variables. They're learning the syntax of JavaScript while they're having fun. So um, if you know anybody that's trying to get into it, or if you just are interested in doing some game development, I would highly suggest checking out PhaserJS. I think it's phaser.io. Yeah the guy that i'm working with i mean has never really done any sort of development anything before and he was able to create this in you know he's been working on it for like a month right but like yeah. in just little incrementing stuff here and there and so it's really cool it's a really fun little platform that you can uh learn stuff with and um you know a lot of times it's like you're trying to teach somebody how to make a web page and it's like they, get, they just it takes forever for them to get anywhere yeah. where they can like see anything that even looks decent like you're teaching them like h1 tags and it looks like suck you know what i mean you yeah, put h1 tag on the page it's like yeah that's like hello and it just looks horrible and so but with this it's it's really fun and yeah um
0: yeah i had a someone of the three devs in the maybe podcast and i don't remember which of the hosts it was but they were playing around with phaser j's a while ago and they i believe released it as like an ios and android app called space beer cave um and that <laughs> that was really De- cool Yeah,
1: that's the cool thing. Is like this can be translated into. I think if you go to phaser.io, it shows like you can put this into like an app. Like you can do that. You can play it on a phone. You can do anything like that. So it's it's pretty awesome. It's a it's a great little great little uh, thing to mess around with.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. As you say, a great way to get into it. Yeah, for sure. Because it gives you like it gives you immediate satisfaction, I guess, or feedback that something is happening. Whereas on a web page, as you say oh, well, here's a heading and there's some text and like it's not, you don't get that, that feedback loop that you get with something like a, an interactive game exactly it can take forever to get any
1: value out of it where with this like you can work on it for an afternoon and have a little thing that you can show your friends and be proud of like hey check out this cool thing i made so and they have a lot of examples that you can use as starting points everything that they have every example they have there's like a github repo where you can say like yeah give me this starting point i want to mess with this then you can just go around and change the code so really really cool really cool yeah uh okay so transition i don't have a good one ssl certs all right have you ever done anything with these ssl certs i mean like who hasn't done something with ssl certs but installing them to
0: laravel forge and i click (laughs) let's encrypt yep but yes i remember the pain of doing it manually and it's horrible you've got to do the certificate signing request and then you have to copy and paste the, the csr into some horrible web interface and then some person in another country goes and does something and then they send you back a, a key or the actual certificate and then you've got a sign it and then you've got there's a, there's sometimes a passcode on the certificate and if, yes if you don't enter the passcode properly then your Apache or nginx won't start because it can't load the certificate and then you get you know ugh. let's encrypt yes. is it's a mess. wonderful and forge and as as wonderful as let's encrypt is, forge makes it like one click install it and it's done and there is nothing to worry about anymore word
1: of warning for anybody who is setting up a forge server for the first time and trying to do an ssl cert even using let's encrypt if you are using the default folder so if you say hey make a new site and the the folder that you tell it to point to is slash default which is set up by default, shockingly, you can't do SSL certs that way. It won't work. You can't have it pointing to the default folder. So just heads up, if you're creating a new site on a forge server, you have to name the folder, whatever the name of the site is gonna be. And then you can do your SSL cert. Right. So. Yes. So just just as a heads up, I ran into that and that was a mess. Um I had to do one manually this week and I was very I was reminded of how thankful I am to have something like Forge that can just do it for me because I it's mm. always like the cert is always stored in the different location depending on what server you're on, whether it's Apache or Nginx and it's always a nightmare.
0: So Yeah, if it's Ubuntu or CentOS or what or whatever. Exactly.
1: Yep. Yep. And so it's a nightmare looking through all the documentation and, and whatever. Uh, okay, second thing I wanted to talk about is this week I actually had to do a custom user provider uh, on Laravel. So there are two different things in Laravel that you have to do if you want to do like your own custom auth. So I'm just going to rip through this kind of quickly. There's two things. There is a guard uh, and then there is a user provider. So the guard can be like a session guard or... So it meaning like the the guard, you know, all the stuff is stored in the session and that's how it, you know, de- determines if somebody's authenticated or not. The other part is how you retrieve your user so there can be like an eloquent user provider which just looks in your database for the username and password and things like that but i needed to make one where it just authenticated the user based on an api call that i had to make and you've done this before haven't you
0: just recently yeah 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 just uh, probably a couple of months yeah ago. so
1: anyway, anyway that was an interesting um task so this, this is the first time i've ever had to do that make a custom user provider And it wasn't that bad. It was pretty cool. It it helped me to realize the value of the Laravel contracts, where you have all the contracts in there and it defines what the, you know, it's all the interfaces that define what methods need to be available. And so it makes it super easy. If you're in PHP Storm, you create one and say extend and then the contract, and then it'll just say add method stubs and it'll just pop them all in there for you. And then you just fill them in.
0: So it's really cool. Pretty neat. Yep. Yeah, I'm not, not sure... I mean, what I i mean, I started doing my own guard and my own provider and I spent probably a few hours getting it all working. And then in the end, because I was still using just eloquent models for my thing, all I really needed to do was...
1: Retrieve user by ID or something?
0: Retrieve, yeah, the retrieve user by ID or whatever it was. But I think even simpler than that, in the, in the login controller, you just, whatever you post into the guard will get passed through to the oh, yes. model. So I just had to smash together a couple of extra fields. And at the end of the day, I think I ended up changing maybe a couple of lines of code to look into a completely different model with other fields that were not just username and password. Um, and it and it all worked out really well. So yeah, Laravel, it gives you great, simple authentication out of the box, but it is also incredibly easy if you need to use something different. Now, I was still using an eloquent model to, to do that. If you're, Authenticating against something else upstream like an LDAP server or some external API might be a bit trickier, but it's it's still a pretty well-documented and, and simple process yeah, to undertake, bad. I it's think. It's not too bad. All
1: right, man. Well, I am going to call this one. I don't have too much more to talk about. Um, I have actually got to go work on my house. My family is out of town. They left so that I could get some work done on the house, and that is exactly what I'm going to do. I was up till midnight painting last night, and today I'm going home with a power washer, and ripping my deck apart and repainting that thing i'm so excited it's 70 here in february 70 69 my gosh i don't know what that yeah, is in, Celsius. I have in no idea. real temperature there but anyway it's a really nice day out so i'm getting out of here and i am going to paint my deck all right all man right. sounds good Go we will that. talk to you soon thanks everybody for listening if you liked this episode feel free to rate it up five stars in your podcatcher of choice you can see the show notes for this episode at, Michael's giving me a signal, what is it, 23? Uh, northmeetsouth.audio slash 23. If you have any questions or have feedback you'd like to give us, you can hit us up on Twitter at NorthSouthAudio. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening. We will see you in two weeks.
0: Thank you, friends. Goodbye.